Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you do enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more. Just go to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, find us at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook, so search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now, episode 122. And we're going to talk about the Perseid meteor shower. Stay tuned. Hope you enjoy. All right. I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have, again, a special return guest, Bob Lunsford. Welcome back, Bob. Well, thank you very much. And we are here to discuss the Perseid meteor shower, which could be the meteor highlight of 2021. All right. Uh, the reason I say that is it peaks with a new moon only uh, four days prior, so that lunar conditions are good. And the Geminids, which normally are king of the meteor showers, uh, will have moon up to about midnight for them. So uh, they will definitely be a post-midnight uh, experience and being in mid-December, so little difference in weather there. That's true. So, yeah, Perseids just might be the highlight for mo most folks this year. Okay. So what can we expect this year? Well, uh, nothing extraordinary. Okay. Uh, probably if one would venture to dark skies, they can probably expect between 40 and 60 Perseid meteors per hour uh, between the, the hours of midnight and dawn. Mm -hmm. Now, I, the reason I say that, is the radiant is which the spotted in the sky which the meteors seem to shoot from uh is very low on the on the horizon uh at at, at dusk so you you can see meteors at that time uh they will be few and far between and they also tend to be very long we, we call them earth grazers because they they uh 
are pretty much pre- pre- um, parallel to the Earth, so they can't really come deep into the atmosphere. Oh, okay. So they, they tend to last longer, make long trains. So if you do see any at that time, they're pretty spectacular, but there's not very many of them because okay. most of the activity is occurring below the horizon. Okay, that's early in the evening, though. That's, that's later- early that's early in the evening. Okay. So that's why we suggest that you wait until midnight or later uh, so the radiant can uh, get a decent uh, altitude. Okay. Once, it, once it passes about 30 degrees uh, altitude, which is about the same as the, uh, the elevation of the North Star in our, our sky, then, uh, then you'll start seeing uh, meteors shooting in all directions. And that, that's when it's worthwhile. It's best to see... Uh, in the last hour before dawn, when it lies highest in the sky, uh, at that time you can see meteors in all directions, and with the you know, without the horizon interfering at all, being it's going to be probably 60, 70 degrees in elevation. So, in that, but that is a tough time for a lot of folks to watch meteor uh, meteor That's activity. True. That's true. Now, how bright so, are these? You know. Actually, most meteors are very dim, but uh, the the uh, are known for for producing bright bright uh, uh, shower. Uh, excuse me, bright, bright meteors. Um, they're also known for fireballs, which can be quite color- colorful. So, if you watch from home, let's just say you're in a suburban area where you can see the stars down to maybe limiting magnitude five, you will see probably a meteor every five minutes during the late evening hours. Okay, um, they'll probably be about the same magnitude or brightness as, as your ordinary stars, with an occasional, uh, you know, one maybe as bright as Jupiter or Venus, but if you make the effort to go to dark skies where you can easily see the Milky Way and, and, and all kinds of faint stars, you will see a lot more activity because, because most of the, uh, the, the meteors are range in size from, oh, geez, point one of a millimeter up to two millimeters. So even the, even the average meter you see it's only two millimeters mm-hmm. in size. So we're talking about tiny little pebble. But the number of, of ones that are the size of grain of sands are much more. So when you, when you do uh, make the effort to go out to rural skies, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely worth it. Okay. Now, this the Perseus meteor shower is associated with a comet? Yeah, with Comet Swift-Tuttle which last uh, shot through the uh, inner solar system in 1992. Okay. So it's uh, long gone now, probably out between the orbits of Saturn and Mm -hmm. Uranus, but it's made so many trips through the inner solar system that we see activity uh, every, every year from it. So it does show up every year. Every now and then there are enhancements uh, there seems to be perhaps a 12-year period that has to do with Jupiter. Hmm. Um, the part of the orbit passes near Jupiter, and whenever Jupiter is in that vicinity, it will perturb those particles to a direction that, that is actually closest to, to the Earth. 
So every 12 years or so, we see a little little bump in activity when we pass close to those. Okay. So, you know, it's too bad. It's not the whole thing, but it's, it's only the the clump of uh, debris that is near the, uh, near the uh, actual planet of Jupiter at that time. So it's just a little bump <laughs> in, in okay. the particles that happen to be near Jupiter at that time. Are, are we near that period this time or? The last time was in 2016, okay. and we had some some a very good Perseid uh, report that year, lots of bright meteors, and we expect another one in the year 2028. Oh, good. Well, we'll so, do a podcast for that. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll put that on my calendar. All right, we'll work it out. <laughs> now, hey. now the, uh, I wanted to tell folks that the uh, – Perseids, Perseids are actually active for a month and a half, starting in mid-July. Oh. Now, you won't see very many in mid-July or in late August, but that's because the core of the orbit we pass in the, in the second week of August, and the exact maximum is on the morning of August 12th, which okay. happens to be a Thursday this year. Okay. And and two two days prior to the Alpo conference. That's true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Our uh, uh, the the a podcast out right now discusses the uh, upcoming conference, August thirteenth uh, and fourteenth. So if, if no one's heard that yet, please go back and listen to that one. Right. So those interested meetings will be busy prior to that. <laughs> and they may be sleepy while attending the conference. <laughs> oh, yes, I've been trying to tie you down to do a talk. Now I know why you said you might be sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, if uh, by chance on that uh, Thursday morning it's cloudy, uh, don't despair because the, the appreciate uh, meteors do put on a good display on the night prior and the night after uh, maximum. They may be perhaps 50% weaker, but still, that's a lot better than, than most nights during the year. So, uh, you know, circle your calendar definitely for August 12th. But like I said, if it's cloudy, you know, on that morning, the the morning before, the morning after are, are good. Now, those looking for Perseids in July are not going to see them come from Perseus. That's because as the Earth revolves around the sun, the position of the radiant changes. Uh. So in the early, um, I, sh I should say, in the early in the activity period, which will be around uh, July 15th, the radiant actually lies in the constellation of Andromeda. So as we approach August, it will shift into Cassiopeia. Mm. And finally, around, oh, I would say August 7th, it actually crosses the border into Perseus and is located close to the double cluster. Uh, any deep sky folks uh, will know, know what that is. Okay. And as we pass the maximum and head into mid and Late August, it enters the famous constellation of Camelopardalis, the giraffe. Hmm. And by the time we hit September, we are on the very outskirts of uh, seeing any meteors from this uh, shower, and it pretty much be over. Okay. Now, if people want to observe the meteor shower, what kind of observations are you looking for? Well... We are looking for hourly counts. Now, I know that sounds, wow, sitting out there for a whole hour. But uh, the, the basis of meteor astronomy is the hourly count. 
And another reason we emphasize to watch an hour is because meteor activity is notoriously clumpy. You can go out for a 15-minute period and say, hey, I didn't see a thing. If you stay out for an hour, you will see peaks and valleys of meteor activity. So the first 15 minutes may be a total dud. The second 15 minutes, you may see one a minute or one every other minute. Uh, and and the, the, uh, the reason... Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, I just lost my, lost my train of thought. <laughs> the reason for observing for an hour is you can see the peaks and valleys mm -hmm. that, that often occur with these meteors. So I know a lot of folks go out, they just stand in their front yard, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're, they're looking up with getting a strained neck. And uh, they say, ah, I didn't see anything. These, these guys are crazy. <laughs> so what you, what you really need to do is get a nice, comfortable lounge chair. This is my favorite part of observing meteors. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I haven't gotten into the beverages and the, and the, and the, and the hamburgers yet or anything there you like go. that. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, get yourself a nice, nice lounge chair. And even August uh, mornings can be a little bit chilly, mm -hmm. so don't forget that uh, blanket or, or dress warmly. Nice pillow, get comfortable, and don't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're comfortable, you're more likely to see a lot more activity than just standing there. And we suggest that you don't view straight up because you're looking through the thinnest part of the atmosphere there where there's the least meteor activity. Mm. Now, looking straight up is great for viewing the planets because there's less atmosphere, but that doesn't work out. It's completely opposite for meteors. Uh, actually, you'll see more act meteor activity close to the horizon than you will straight up. So but, what, what you mean by straight up looking directly at the radiant? No, not necess not necessarily. Oh, okay. If you stare if you stare directly at the radiant, most of the meteors are going to be short because they're foreshortened because they're coming directly at you. Okay. So it's best to have the radiant somewhere near the edge of your field of view. Okay. So you can definitely tell that it was coming from Perseus, mm -hmm. but you can also see a nice lengthy meteors. So uh, man, like I said before, there are a lot of these are faint. So if, uh, if you see the long trains in these, uh, you'll be able to, 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 to decipher that they're, they're, they're definitely a meteor and not something you imagined. Um, I, I can't tell you how many phantom meteors I, I've seen throughout the years. Gosh, was that really a meteor or not? And it really helps to look a little bit away from the radiant so you see these longer trails to help define okay. whether, whether or not you saw something. Now, Going back to observing closer to the horizon, we don't want you to look right on the horizon because half of your view is going to be wasted on the ground. So that's why I suggest looking halfway up so that the bottom of your view is right on the horizon. Got it. So, and of course, if you have hills or trees in that direction, you want to just go up a little bit, a little bit further. But if you if you see these guys with these video cameras. They're not aimed straight up. They're they're aimed about at about a, at about a forty five degree angle. Okay. Because because that's where most of the activity is. All right. So as for the observations, you want people to observe for at least an hour. 
at least an hour. We would like to, you know, we rec- be sure and record the time that you're out mm-hmm. and try to give us an estimate of the faintest star you can see. Now, now that's that's pretty pretty difficult because uh, you know, if I say, well, my my uh, my zenith star or my limiting magnitude was six point most people are going to say, "What the heck's that mean?" <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what what we're looking for is the darkest sky possible, and and to to estimate that, a, a good target is the Little Dipper because mm-hmm. it has stars ranging from second through fifth magnitude, and a, a, a chart of the Little Dipper is available on the internet very easily, and the, it, they have the magnitudes label. And try to see the faintest star that you can see in in the Little Dipper, and uh, and if you can record that, that'll help us determine the quality of your sky. That's great. That's that's a good yep. tool mm-hmm. for for sure. And <clears throat> and uh, be sure and note any clouds mm-hmm. or, or or things that that happen. You don't have to to stop just because you. you you know, you have a cloud pass in front of the radiant. If you have other parts of the sky that are, that are still clear, you you know, you shift your 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 sighting over there. But um, that that's another parameter. And uh, please note any breaks you take. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to get adventurous, you can uh, let us know the, any colors you see. Oh. You can you can actually try to estimate the magnitudes of of each meteor. Which help us, helps us, and if you're seeing mostly fourth and fifth magnitude meteors, you're we can we can know for sure you're in a dark darn site. good dark sky. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Now, what about astrophotography? The uh, Perseids are very photogenic. You just need a uh, single lens reflex camera that can take exposures for at least. 15 seconds up up to up to 60 uh unless you're in very dark skies i would limit your exposure to 60 seconds okay but like uh like viewing aim it halfway up in the sky it doesn't matter where because perseid meteors will show up in any part of the sky but you can trace them all back to that same point in 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 the sky okay and again record the times you're taking these photographs as well right right and uh uh, the, the the color photographs often show green streaks, which is ionized oxygen. Mm. As as the, the meteorite passes through the atmosphere, it will excite that, and you'll get nice green green glows around the meteors, and often pinks too, which is ionized nitrogen. So definitely make an effort to to do that if you'd like to, you know, keep keep part of your experience. Right. That's a good idea, yeah. And, and if anybody observes this meteor shower, please send your observations to Bob. Uh, his contact information is uh, down below. We'll have it available to you. Now, are there any other meteor showers coming this year that we should be looking forward to? Unfortunately, the moon interferes with yeah. the Orionids of October and the Leonids of of uh, November. And as I stated before, the uh, Geminids. The Geminis have, have a gibbous moon that will set uh, just as a radiance reaching its its uh, highest point. So uh, the Geminis will be the the highlight of the last quarter of the uh, the year. So, uh, 
but there are lots. Uh, the The last half of the year is the time to watch for uh, for meteor activity because there are many minor showers that that fill the void, and the sporadic rakes are also highest uh, at that time. Okay. Now, if any folks are observing uh, from the southern hemisphere, you can see some uh, Perseid activity. Uh, if you are 30 degrees south or further points further north, you can see them right before dawn uh, because the uh, radiant will lie close to the horizon. And these will shoot up from the northern horizon and appear much like it does for us in the northern hemisphere uh, during the evening hours. But uh, it's only limited to the uh, few hours before for dawn in the southern hemisphere, when uh, when the radiant is at its highest. Yeah. Now, if you're farther south than 30 degrees, unfortunately, the radiant never rises. And uh, for far northern folks, let's say uh, Alaska or northern Canada, unfortunately, it stays twilight uh, mm. this time of year. <laughs> so uh, they will be out of luck. Okay. I, okay. Um, I, I've never asked you this question before. I'm, I'm interested to know, observing meteors, how did you become so passionate about observing every possible meteor shower and being in charge of like the Alpo meteor section and also with the American <laughs> Meteor Association? Um, I can blame it on the great landed shower of 1966. Mm. Uh, I saw a the nightly news which my parents watch religiously mm. there was an there was a, a an article i should i should say a segment uh, on the news that you know discussed the possibility of a leaned shower this evening so i says okay you know i will get up mm-hmm. and see what's going on well i got up Actually, it was cloudy that evening. I got up anyway and peered out our window, and there were stars. Well, great. So this was about 1 o'clock in the morning. So I go outside, and sure enough, I've seen probably a meteor every 30 seconds, maybe oh. maybe a couple every 15 seconds. So I says, wow, this is pretty good. But uh, at that time, like I was only in, what? fifth grade maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> so i stayed out for 15 20 minutes yeah this is great but this is not uh you know what they said on the news so uh you know mm-hmm. it was it, it's cool but uh what i really wish is i had a had a glass ceiling so i can lay in bed and watch this <laughs> you know i had school the next day so you know, I can make up a ton of reasons, but I was just too lazy to stay up any further. <laughs> well, I always, uh, when I went to the library, I'd, I'd pick up uh, Sky and Telescope and, and, you know, and read about what's going on. So you had too- an interest in astronomy back then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I was too cheap to, to, to pay for it back then. <laughs> you know, the subscription to Sky and Telescope. So yeah. I'd go to the library and look. And I believe it was the January issue of 1967 had an article on the magnificent, tremendous Leonid shower. Wait a minute. What's going on here? And it turns out I was out too early. 
Ah. It peaked uh, at about 5 a.m. our time. And had I been up four hours later, I could have seen like 30 to 40 meteors a second. Whoa. <laughs> so, so you told yourself, never again will that happen to me. <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> so it's been my quest to try to make up for that gaffe <laughs> and, and try to see it. On the other hand, I'm also legitimating the situation saying, if I saw that display at its maximum, I wouldn't give a hoot about any other ever again because nothing has matched it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it could go one way or the other. But, uh, you know, that, that was a spark. That's, that's it. Yeah. There's always some event that seems that, that really gets somebody their juices flowing for this hobby. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's, that's what I love about amateur astronomy. I mean, because there's, you can be just into making telescopes. Or yeah. you could be into astrophotography, or you could just be looking at eclipses. I mean, there's people that chase eclipses all over the world. And meteors are just one of those things, too. That you know where they're going to happen, you know, and you it, you don't need any optical instrumentation to do them. They're free, basically. Very true. <laughs> you, you know, and just, like you said, a comfortable lounge chair and a cup of cocoa and, and a pencil and paper and a good watch. And you're set for observing meteor showers. And you can contribute scientifically useful results. And you can do science. And yeah. that's what's really cool. Yeah, I was wondering about that. What what event triggered you? Because it's <laughs> it's an no, it's an interesting field in astronomy to be to be into. Because it's yeah. I, I don't know what the popularity of it is. You're also involved with that with American uh, Meteor Society. Yeah, Meteor Society. Yeah. yeah. What's the membership of that? That. Uh, it's it's in a flux. We were okay. very, very popular during the last Leonid storms around 2000. And now the, the now the paid membership is, is very low. It's, okay. uh, you know, probably between 25 and 50. Oh uh, the International Meteor Organization probably has about 250 to 300 members. Okay. So it's a so niche observing. It's a, niche thing when when activity is hot and heavy we get popular mm. and in off years you know yeah you know we'll, we'll give it a peek we'll look, yeah. we'll look at our, our uh, it's front, like the alpo membership when door. mars and mars is in opposition our membership peaks <laughs> you know when it's not it drops down so it's the same very, thing but but that's the true. thing that's the thing about meteors though you can go out you can go out any night and observe Yes. Any night, any night of the week, you're going to see them. Very but, true. But to observe the showers, where you have a, a statistical chance to see a greater number of shooting stars, and that's when you really want to get out there. And believe it or not, surprises still happen. We have people who sit in lounge chairs on off nights and say, "Hey, I'm seeing five meteors come from Scorpius. What's going on? There's hmm. nothing going on in that part of the sky this time of year." So. You know, who who knows there there are we pass through so many little fields of debris and we just don't know exactly what was out there. Right. And and even the ones that we know about, we don't know the density of these particles. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a good idea where they are, when when they might peak, but uh shoot, 
it, it, we could, you know, see a surprise outburst or or nothing. <laughs> yeah. So there's still surprises out there for for meteor. You know, the it, it helps to have these video cameras working night by night, but that. Mm-hmm. You know, those are really concentrated, you know, and, and actually in the USA, there aren't that many systems. We're trying to alleviate that, but the, the, the Germans and the Dutch, they've really, you know, taken to it and um, they've got their, their skies pretty well covered. Those are like full sky cameras? Yeah, uh, either that, you know, all sky cameras or systems where they have six to eight cameras in one little dome aimed in all parts of the sky so that they don't miss anything. Wow. So, well, you've got a setup like that, don't you? I have one of each. I have an all sky camera for fireballs and, and then a, uh, a six camera system that focuses in on, on, uh, on fainter meteors. And you run those every night. I run those every night wow. clear or not. And uh, believe me, I get all kinds of birds, bugs, and aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and Starlink satellites, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, and what's sad is I, I show videos of those Starlinks, and people think they're so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're causing headaches, those poor people that are photographing deep skies, and they have all these streaks shoot through their field of view. <laughs> right. Right. I don't know. Well, it's cool, Bob. Anything else you'd like to share with us? Well, I'll have an article out on the AOPO website, uh, okay. probably in mid-July, uh, detailing the Perseus and with reminders of how, where, when, and why. Okay. And uh, Okay, well, this one's going to drop around July 15th, so it'll be perfect. It's, it starts on, okay, great. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And uh We'll keep our fingers crossed for nice, clear skies and lots of bright meteors. That sounds good. All right, Bob, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Okay, my pleasure. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank Bob Lunsford for coming on and giving us a lively discussion on the upcoming Perseids Meteor Shower. Please get out there and observe it and send your observations to Bob. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please give us a five-star rating. I really appreciate it. You can also listen on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you will receive one year's membership to the Oppo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their continued generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for the Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you have uh, questions or comments for me, you can drop me an email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.